Welcome to the Azure Security Podcast, where we discuss topics relating to security, privacy, reliability, and compliance on the Microsoft Cloud Platform. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 76. Uh, this week, it's myself, Michael, with Mark and Sarah. And we have a guest this week, Nagar Shabab, who's here to talk to us about Microsoft security research. But before we get to our guest, uh, let's take a little lap around the news. Uh, Mark, why don't you kick things off? So a couple of things that I've been uh, focusing on uh, lately that I thought would be of interest. Um, the first is sort of a, a call out and request. So the, the new version of the Microsoft Cybersecurity Reference Architecture, or MCRA, um, is in development. So um, working on that quite a bit lately. Um, definitely got a, a plan for all the things that we're doing in there, but would love to hear any requirements, thoughts, ideas uh, from folks um, on kind of how you use it, um, what you wish it had in it, and you know what you wish was a little bit different or a little bit clearer, or, you know, had a little more detail, something like that. Um, so, love to get feedback on that. So, just hit me up on uh, LinkedIn or Twitter or whatever. Um, love to to hear um, what you are uh, interested in there. And the other thing that's been sort of interesting to me is I've had a few conversations um, uh, recently around what I'm calling, for the lack of a better term, a security alignment paradox. Um, and so I posted a slide. It's actually um, part of the architecture design session module one, so the end-to-end uh, zero trust architecture um, that we're uh, delivering through our uh, unified uh, sort of engagements. And um, it's part of like a Rosetta Stone where you got all these different models like uh, defense in depth and uh, zero trust principles and this cybersecurity framework and all these other things that sort of guide us, miter attack, et cetera. And, you know, kind of put them all together in one place and explain, you know, what, what they're good for, what they're not. That's part of that workshop, that end in architecture. But one of them that we ended up creating sort of as over the course of this, as, as we were trying to do some planning and, st- and stuff, we, we realized that it's nearly impossible to map defenses cleanly to attacks or to business outcomes from security. So security is sort of in this like difficult, unexplainable position in some ways and not unexplainable entirely, but you know, just the things that we do that are the right things, the most important things to do to mitigate risk, you know, they're going to mitigate on a many to many basis, different attacks. Right. And so it's not like, oh, you do this one thing and then magically this attack disappears. Like that doesn't actually happen. And if you do this one uh, thing, then you magically fix this business risk. That doesn't happen either. So sort of security is sort of caught in the middle. And I'll be honest with you, it's sort of an interesting realization. It took off on like to get like 15,000 impressions or something like that. And, you know, I don't know, a couple hundred uh, reactions. It was, you know, it was very interesting to me that it took off because, I don't know, I think security people like bad news for some reason. But I'm, I'm trying to kind of figure out what to do with it, um, to be honest, because it's it's a truth and it's useful. But I haven't quite figured out what it's useful for. I mean, it helps us explain that security is hard and it's kind of a nice, simple visual for doing that. Um, but I'm just trying to figure out, like, you know, what people think about it and like how we can use it to sort of help our industry move forward. So yeah, definitely interested in uh, folks' feedback. We'll, we'll include a, a link to the LinkedIn post that has a visual and, and sort of the current discussion, et cetera. But um, yeah, those, those are the two things for me that, uh, that that's uh, going on in my world. So I've just got one piece of, uh, one piece of exciting news, which is uh, uh, my baby. Uh, Microsoft Sentinel is now available in China. So that's something that uh, a lot of customers who have operations in China have been asking for for a while. Uh, um, you may 
or may not know um, that Asia in China is a is a physically it is separate from from the rest of Asia, um, a bit like our GovNet, um, uh, so it can adhere to local regulations. So if you wanted to use Sentinel um, and you wanted to use it in China, um, it's now available in public preview in the China East Two region, and uh, I do know. Uh, that there are quite a few folks, um, both within China and com- um, international companies that have presences in China uh, that wanted to use it. So that's good news. Uh, and that's just uh, my one bit of news this week. So I've got a few little items. Um, the first one is we have some new confidential VMs. If you are familiar with the current um, sort of incarnation of the confidential VMs, they presently use um, an AMD EPIC chip. And essentially, the root of trust is all the way down in those in those CPUs. We now have some new confidential VMs. They're in preview. They're the DC ESV5 and EC ESV5 series, and they use Intel TDX, um, which is you know if you, if you squint, it's a sim- it's a similar idea. So they're in uh, in there in preview right now. Um, next one is this. This is actually kind of cool to see. We're kind of alarmed at how many people don't use auditing in Azure SQL Database, and we think part of that may have been the documentation wasn't exactly, you know, let's just say it could be improved. Well, it's been improved. And so there's a link in the show notes to the new sort of landing page for auditing. It explains things uh, really, really well. It explains all the requirements to set up auditing in Azure SQL Database. So it's had a, uh, had a complete uh, rework, which is great to see. Next one, which has got nothing whatsoever to do with security, really, but it's something that's uh, in my backyard. There's a new uh, .NET library for T-SQL parsing. Now, oh, more, more importantly, it's available in open source, and it's called ScriptDOM, and it's a uh, basically just a NuGet package that you can download. The nice thing about it is if you wanted to do like special uh, you know, analysis of T-SQL statements uh, in some code somewhere, so for example, detecting SQL injection vulnerabilities or something like that, you now, have, your availab- you know, now you have available at your fingertips a library that will actually do the parsing for T-SQL. So T-SQL is Transact SQL, which is the flavor of SQL that SQL Server and Azure SQL d- Database use. And the last point is I wrote a blog post. Um, it's up on the um, tech community website. And it's called The Importance of TLS with SQL Server. And the same applies to Azure SQL Database. But basically, it's explaining just how important TLS is. And it's not for the reasons you think. Um, A lot of people think that it's just about, hey, you know, protecting my credit cards as they fly across the wire. Yeah, that's important. But in actual fact, the most important thing it does is provide server authentication. And then once you have the server authentication, then you can do the channel protections. And unfortunately, people get that server authentication part wrong. Um, many, many times through various settings in their SQL connection strings. So I go through all of that and basically at the end of it just plead with people to please just do TLS correctly. So with the news out of the way, uh, let's turn our attention this week to our guest. Uh, This week we have Nagar Shabab, who's here from Microsoft in Melbourne, Australia. And she's here to talk to us about Microsoft security research. So, Nagar, first of all, welcome to the podcast. Um, We'd like to spend a moment and introduce yourself to our listeners. Hello. Hello, everyone. Pleasure being here. I'm Nagar. I've been with Microsoft for uh, three years now. I'm part of uh, Microsoft Threat Intelligence Community, working for Windows Defender. And I've been doing malware research for over 10 years now. That's what I am. Fantastic. So I'm going to ask the most obvious questions to start off with. 
So you're actually the first person we've actually either had on the podcast from Microsoft Security Research. So what do you do? I mean, what, what, you know, what does a typical day look like and what sort of things are you focused on? Do you just sit in front of Ida Pro all day, like debugging malware? I'm just really curious as to what you sort of do on a day-to-day basis and what's the team's focus? We have a very large team of uh, researchers. All the day-to-day jobs are uh, kind of different, even inside Defender. Different teams focus on um, like different areas and different types of malwares or attacks. For me, I'm part of a team in Melbourne that we mostly focus on adverse and browser-based threats. I personally um, don't do like don't use Ida every day, uh, but once in a while. Uh, so we have like our, our research uh, has a, a wide. Um, range of different things we do uh, from looking at one specific attack module, like looking it in, inside IDA, as, as you said, or like um, analyzing it with different with different tools to um, looking at the whole family or the whole campaign and doing some sort of um, threat intelligence um, to um, just trying to improve the detection or um our known malwares. Yeah, so something I should probably explain is um, IDA, is spelled, just, just spelled IDA, it's a very commonly used uh, tool for understanding what malware does and also for things like debugging patches and those sorts of things. So it's a very, very common tool used throughout the professional security community. You said, you know, different teams focus on on different things, uh, uh, obviously, because there's a huge number of threats out there to research. Um, are you able to talk a little bit about specifically, you know, what your team do and the kind of things that you, you can see? Basically, we are not in silos. So we kind of work together with different teams. Uh, for example, we, um, like, specifically our team, um, are in contact with um, Edge or Bing or some other teams to um, to find the um, research areas uh, we do like, every day. So um, we basically focus on any kind of browser-based threats. This is one of our main focuses. Um, like um, to give you some examples, all the um, malicious browser extensions you um, you might get installed on your system. It might be something you install or something that you pick up uh, during installing something else or just browsing internet. And this is w- one of the main focuses of our team. And another thing is any other type of adverse, it's not necessarily browser-based, but um, any kind, like any um, poor advertising, poor hack tools, or whatever. I'm, I'm kind of curious. Like, there's a couple of questions that come to mind. Like, it seems like you, you focus on browsers. There's obviously people that break down malware of, of different types, et cetera. So, I'm kind of curious, like, what are the different types of researchers that are sort of out there? Because I'm sort of a novice to the whole security research space in, in, in some ways and career wise. Um, and then the other question I have is, like, how much of this is like proactive versus reactive? Like, you've got you know, you know the actual malware and the actual things people are doing versus what could be done. Sort of more of like a, a red team uh, sort of attack simulation perspective. I'm kind of curious, like how that blends out. 
So are you talking about um, like malware research in general or? Uh, just in general, um, you know, so I'm just thinking of like someone that's completely new to security research. Like how much of what you do is looking at what attackers are already doing versus trying to anticipate what they might try next? No, that was a very good question. Um, actually, we always um, look at the attacks from these two different perspectives, uh, from an attacker point of view and the defender point of view. Um, in in our team, uh, we don't do the red teaming or the um, offensive part of it, but it's a very big area, um, security research umbrella. I've, I've done a little bit of that. Um, I, I tried uh, during um, these years that I'm doing um, security research, uh, I tried um, getting into different areas a little bit. Um, it's, it's, it's very cool uh, to do like red teaming. Uh, and um, I, I guess it also helps you uh, when you uh, do the other side to uh, like when I'm doing, when I'm working on the defensive side, it, it helps me to have a little bit of knowledge about, about the offensive side. Okay, that's interesting. So I didn't realize that there was sort of the the red uh, versus blue kind of uh, elements within the the research space. That's kind of cool. Do folks kind of cross between different like technology and focus areas? Like people get you know bored with browsers and they want to work on different types of malware, or do folks tend to focus in the same area? I'm just kind of curious there. We we are pretty flexible. We try to um, experiment uh, different areas. It's definitely not. Uh, very routine job and we don't get to work on the same thing or similar things over and over depends on the on the attacks we we see every day um, we have to like kind of adopt with, with the nature of evolving in the attacks in the attack scenarios gotcha so it's it's very it sounds like in your world it's very attack driven and what the attackers are doing and trends and and whatnot yep that's right and i assume that the, the you know the the research that your team does, you know, a lot of that ends up in our various Defender products. Is there any, like, could it end up like in any Defender product or is it like Defender for Endpoint or, you know, something like that? What, what sort of products do you end up sort of uh, affecting? Um, I guess our research end up in, in any Defender product. Yeah, we, we basically, everything we do in our team, one of their main goal is to end up in Defender. Most of our researchers, it's what we do, we, we want to um, add it to the defender and improving the detection. So one thing you sort of touched on briefly is, you know, you have different types of researchers like, you know, you got like red, those in red teams and blue teams and so on. If someone was interested in getting into sort of security research, like malware research, I mean, wh- where would you start? I mean, you know, what, if, some, if I'm sitting at a computer right now, I'm like, you know, I, I really wanted to sort of learn more about malware security research i mean what would you what would you advise people to do next i can say there are um different areas uh, in uh, malware research um, my suggestion is that to um go and learn about like get into any of them like try try to see which one uh, do you like learn from each um, area a little bit and try to see what are you interested in. Um, there, there are different, they, they have different, uh, like um, there are some things in common between all of them, 
but um, definitely people are some people are more interested in the different um, in the uh, red side. Some of them are more interested um, on the blue side. Yeah, give it a go. Try to build skills on different sides and see what what suits you. All right, let's take it one step further. So let's say you want to be on the blue side, right, which is the defensive side. So give me an example of what you, or say examples if you could, of, you know, what sort of tools or technologies or techniques you think people should, you know, sit down and study. Um, I think reverse engineering is one of uh, the main skills um, you need. Um, even if you if you want to do um, you know, malware research or if you want to do incident response um, or any other areas um, on the blue side, um, and I think reverse engineering is it's, it, it actually helps you on on the red side as well. But yeah, I guess it's, it's one of the main skills uh, you need to have. So, and, and that's where Ida comes in, right? So to help with the reverse engineering. Yeah. <laughs> um, but on that topic though, it's funny you should bring that up. I mean, if you're reversing some malware, you've really got to have a programming background, right? Is that a, is that a fair comment? Um, you, you should uh, know some programming. Yeah, you don't have to be a professional programmer. That's good to know. I mean, I remember I was, this is a while ago now, I was debugging something with, uh, I don't know, someone was watching me do it. And um, I ended up stepping through the assembly language. It was on the you know, X, uh, you know, X64. And uh, this guy's like, what are you doing? Why don't you just debug the, the, C, the C code? It was written in C. I'm like, why, would, why don't you just debug the C code? I'm like, I mean, I could, um, but I really want to see what the code is really, really doing. And, you know, an optimizer can easily change the C code or the C++ code to be some completely different assembly language. So I want to just see precisely what the code is doing. And that's why I was single stepping through, you know, single instructions. Um, and in fact, I think this is my advice, I guess, for people if they want to do reverse engineering, is you're probably going to have to learn assembly language as well. Because, again, knowing what the malware is doing, you know, they're not going to give you the source code. Um, so you need to really step through the assembly language. So you're going to have to learn basic assembly language as well. Is that is that a fair is that a fair comment, or did I just scare a whole bunch of people off? No, that's fair, and um, I can say that it's not. If if you are a C programmer, um, you don't always get malwares written in C. If you want to work on different kind of malwares, you have to be um, curious and um, constantly learning. Uh, different programming languages. Not like you, you want to code in, in that programming language, but you have to understand it. So, yeah, if even if you um, know C, it doesn't necessarily help you in um, analyzing all, all kind of malwares. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a really good point. Actually, so, so on that topic, so, I mean, so what languages are we seeing as the predominant languages now for, that people are using to write malware? Different types of malware are written in different types of um, languages, like script malware. Even, even uh, some executables are written in script-based languages, like Node.js or different types of programming. Um, languages and I'm not an expert in in that area. Can you tell us a story? Like, tell us about a fun case you work where some someone sort of surprised you or is interesting, or you learned something interesting. I'd love to hear sort of you know what it's like to sort of run run something down. Uh, I guess we we get surprised 
um, every day. So with, with any piece of um, new malware or new campaign, um, you see something new and then you have to learn it. Um, you have to learn how to analyze it and um, how this would work. Um, I, I don't have anything specific on top of my mind, but yeah, it, we definitely like with, with every uh, malware campaign we work on, we uh, we see like new and interesting techniques. With regards to the the uh, what you see in your research, um, do we see you know the same or the same sort of culprits doing? you know, uh, attacks over and over again? Or do, is it lots of different people? Uh, you know, it's just like the whole internet. Um, are, you, are you able to tell us a little bit about kind of what you see at a very high level there? It really depends on on the attack itself. Um, there are some attacks that, um, as you know, that there are some nation-sponsored attacks. So I, I can tell you that we, we've seen like different different attacks from the same actor again and again. So the actor might be um, the same and they, they might use uh, same techniques or even um, even same modules of um, the old attacks in, in the new attacks. But um, definitely there are new attackers every day. But what, what we see is that we've seen evolution in in the same attack a lot attackers try to prevent getting detected so they change the attack chain a bit preventing the detection and getting their way in um, in what they do if if we see a different attack um, with different with new approach we can say that yeah it's same attack with different approach um, yeah that's same uh, actor do you find that the different threat actors are learning from each other? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and uh, we we see a lot of um, different um, different tools, um, like same tools using by different attackers. I mean, and I realize this is Mark may have an opinion on this, but you know it's interesting. I mean, my guess is there's a whole ecosystem behind this, right? There are people who can generate malware, and then people who purchase the malware to be used against victims, and so on. Not just threat actors writing their own their own malware; they're probably purchasing it from from other people who are experts in in writing malware. Any thoughts on that? I know again, I know Mike will probably have an opinion, but you know, is that something that we see as well? Yeah, definitely. You're right. There are some uh, some people that writing different piece of malwares and they sell it to um, like different um, people who who want to use them. So yeah, it's not always like the attacker is writing or every piece of every module since they attack themselves from scratch. Are you able to talk a little bit about how the research that you do, because of course Microsoft does do the research for a reason, are you able to talk about how the research that you and your team do end up in Defender products? That's a very interesting question. So as, as I mentioned earlier, one of our main goals for our research is is to improve the detection for our defender. So what we do is when we um, look at the malware and different modules separately or um, the whole behavior of the um, attack, how, how we add that sort of knowledge into the defender is by adding 
some sort of malware signature to the defender. And malware signature would be like any sequence of bytes from the malware uh, we analyze or something like a hash or something behavioral. Um, so we, we see some kind of behaviors in the malware or some sort of uh, something unique about piece of malware and uh, we add them as a signature for that malware to the researcher. So everywhere, like in, in any system, defenders um, picks up some sort of behavior or, or file with that specific, that specific features or um, sequence of bytes, it detects that specific malware. That's really cool. I always find... Uh you know, how how we get all of this information and all this research that we do into Microsoft products and doing something for people who are using them really, really interesting. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, the stuff's got to, you know, we ship products, right? <laughs> so um, it's good to see all this work going into, into products to protect our customers. All right, so let's wrap this thing up. Um, hey, Nagar, so one thing we ask our guests is if you had just one little thought to leave our listeners with, and what would it be? As a researcher, um, I, I I want to um, talk to the other researchers in, in uh, this area. Uh, I want to tell them to stay connected with, with different researchers because you you um, you're gonna get some uh, opinion from people and learn new uh, areas every day. People have different different skills and different interests. So uh, you you might learn new things from um, staying connected with the with the community and other researchers. Yeah, that's so true, isn't it? I mean, you think you know it all, but in actual fact, you really don't. Yeah, talk to five security researchers, and it, well, five security people in general, you get ten different opinions anyway. But that's uh, that's really good advice. All right, so with that, let's bring this episode to an end. Uh, Nagar, thank you so much for joining us this week. Again, you're the very first person we've had from Microsoft Security Research, so that's, uh, that's always good. Thank you to all our listeners out there. We hope you found this episode useful. Stay safe, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Azure Security Podcast. You can find show notes and other resources at our website, azsecuritypodcast.net. If you have any questions, please find us on Twitter at Azure SecPod. Background music is from ccmixter.com and licensed under the Creative Commons license.